You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Uh, I'm going to talk more about poems here in just a minute, but before we do, I need to respond to a current event today. I've been a little bit sick as I've watched my news feed recently with the white nationalists that have uh, been protesting in Virginia, and it got a little crazy, and people lost their lives because someone rammed cars into anti-protesters, and I think it goes without saying here at City Church that we completely condemn any form of racism uh, in our country. And furthermore, when I look back at the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 12, some of you might remember in that story that uh, a woman was criticizing Moses for marrying a black wife And God got so angry at her prejudice there that he gave her leprosy. It was like God saying, you want a lot of white? I'll give you more white than what you want. I'll make you white with leprosy. This is how angry God gets at this type of hate and prejudice. And I think uh, all of us here are thankful that when we come to church here at City Church, we can worship arm in arm, hand in hand with our brothers and sisters from every different age, race, and walk of life. Uh, so let's thank God for that today. And I wanted to just, yeah, thank God for that. And, and I would like us to stop and just say a brief prayer and pray for our nation and for racial reconciliation. Can you guys join me in that prayer? Uh, Lord, We pray for our country. We pray that by your spirit, you would bring love to replace all the hate. We pray for our city, that here would be a a city where everyone gets along the different races. And we pray that you would make us catalysts for reconciliation and love. Father, we thank you for the vision that was in your heart, not ours, but the vision that was in your heart to have a kingdom made up of every different tribe, tongue, and nation. So we're grateful for you and your good vision of the kingdom, and we want to live it out and thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray it, everyone said. Amen. Well, back to the series at hand. We've been studying through the New Testament book of Ephesians in a series called The New You. And one of the things that we always say around here is that to understand any book of the Bible, you have to understand the historical context in which that book of the Bible was written. And so if you go back to ancient Ephesus, you would see a city where they had this temple to a god called Diana or Artemis. And I think I have the pictures on screen. You can see not only the ruins, but an artist rendered of what Diana's temple looked like. It was one of the wonders of the world at that time. And what happened was people would go into that temple and they would go in there to worship God, uh, uh, Diana, the goddess of fertility. They would sacrifice animals in there. They would engage in ceremonial prostitution, which is kind of weird, isn't it? They would also sell these little pornographic shrines that people would purchase and take home and put in their homes. And I know that sounds kind of odd, but because of the temple practices, there of worship of Diana, the Ephesian people had all these destructive addictions and problems in their lives. And that's why Paul had to write some stuff to the Ephesian Christ followers. And he said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your what? new nature 
created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Uh, And in this series, the Bible is challenging those of us that know Christ to repent. And we've said repent is not a real popular word in our culture, but it's a very popular word in the Bible. In other words, we're to turn away from our old lusts and our old lifestyle, and we're to turn towards the new. Now, some of you ask the question, well, I don't even know what the new is. But what you got to understand is that following Christ doesn't mean just getting all the negative stuff out of your life. It means embracing the positive and the new. It's not just about what you're not doing. It's about what you are doing, see? And what we're unpacking in this series in Ephesians is what is the new? And each week we'll see a different facet of the new you. And one of the things that I want you to see today is that your life is a poem. It's a poem. Now, uh, we're going to reflect on that more as we go throughout the service, but um, I want to ask you this question. If there was a poem written about your life, what would the title of that poem be? So would it be like Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken, or would it be more like the song title to a country music song, you know? Uh, most of you know I'm not a big country music fan, but I do give them credit from some really funny lyrics and funny song titles, and I thought I'd bring a few for you today. Um, do these song titles represent your life? Here's one. It's, I still miss you, baby, but my aim's getting better. <laughs> or maybe it's like this one. My wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. <laughs> or here's another one. She got the ring and I got the finger. Uh Uh-oh. Here's one. How can I miss you if you won't go away? (laughs) And the last one's this. This is my favorite. If I can't be number one in your life, then number two on you. (laughs) Someone just got a breakup line today at church. That was for free. Um, But I think when I think about Uh, titles to songs, you know, our lives are sometimes defined, our identities are defined by titles to songs and poems and written works. And I think about when I was a teenager, that's the time of life. Remember when you were a teenager and everybody was trying to create their identity as a teenager? Because you don't want to be a little kid anymore. And so you're trying to create this new you. And I remember when I was in middle school, the, the new me, I wanted to be like rock and roll Doug. So we all dressed up like our favorite band, Kiss, and I was Gene Simmons there. So I was trying to be the, the new me. But at your school, I don't know what it was. There was probably the jocks, right? They had their leather jacket, you know, their, their letter jackets on and all that. There's uh, probably like the, the punkers, you know, that had like mohawks and spikes. There were the skaters and there were the preppies. There were the geeks, you know, that were in their computers. There were the bowheads, like the cheerleaders and all them. And there were what I called the peacock heads, you know, when those girls like hairspray their hair sticking straight up just like that. And they look like a peacock uh, sticking up there in the front of their uh, hair. And then there were like the rapper gangsta type people, you know, they pull their pants down, they're all sagging, you know, around, their underwear hanging out the back and uh, this type of deal. This is the, the, the OGs, you know. Um, so what, all this is trying to create a, a new identity, see, but what I want to show you today is that your identity is that of a poem. And so that's the big idea for the teaching today from Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to say, I'm a poem. Ready? I'm a poem. You're a poem. This comes in Ephesians 2.10. Look at it with me on your phone or on the screens or in your Bible. Um, For we are God's masterpiece. 
He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. And if you look back in the Bible at that word masterpiece in the Greek language, it's a word poema. Guess what word we get from poema? Poem, right? It's like a poem. It's like a masterpiece, workmanship. Um, It's a piece of literary workmanship. It's a work of art. But the thing you got to understand, if you're going to be a poem for God, you, you got to acknowledge that before you were a poem or a piece of art, you were a piece of work. So I, w- I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them, you were a piece of work. I saw some uh, wives today telling their husbands, you're still a piece of work, Jack, you know? You know the good thing, uh, good poetry is raw and honest poetry, isn't it? And that's the way that the Bible is. It tells us we're a piece of work. We were a piece of work in Ephesians 2, 1. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So in other words, before you came to know Christ, you were a piece of work. And you know, one of the things that I never understood is churches trying to uh, create environments where people who have problems, struggles, and sins could never come, because the Bible makes it clear we're all pieces of work at some level, and that's why I've said before, and I'll say again, our congregation is made up of people who have been drunks and addicts and porn watchers, people of Walmart, even mullet haircut people, victims and prostitutes, adulterers, thieves, even you Twilight fans, losers, (laughs) freaks and geeks and people who think championship wrestling is real and chain smokers and those of you that are texting while you're driving and um, even those guys who go to the gym and they wear like those Daisy Duke shorts while they're singing Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer and even like the, the potheads and the meatheads, crackheads, deadheads, methheads, people who don't recycle. And look, even those really religious people the really religious people who don't really know about all the stuff I was just talking about because those subjects were not covered on Little House on the Prairie or in their homeschool co-ops. Look, all of us were a piece of work at some point, right? And so how is it that we change? How is it that we go from piece of work um, to piece of art or a poem? Well, it's because of a grace gift, It's a grace gift. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, one of the classic verses in all the Bible. God saved you by his grace when you did what? Believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. So what are we saved from? It says salvation comes by grace, but what are you getting saved from? Well, certainly it's ourselves, it's our sin, but it's spiritual death. Look at Ephesians 2, 1. Once you were what? Dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. And so it's like this. When someone chokes or drowns or they can't uh, breathe anymore and they need CPR, they most of the time will die if they're just left there. They need someone to come and breathe life into them. And that's what happens from God when he comes 
and breathes life into us. We just breathe his breath in and receive it. Now, faith is mentioned here in Ephesians uh, two, this by grace through faith that we, we believe um, it, it's not from the good stuff we do, but what's important is that what we're putting our faith in. Because a lot of people talk about their faith as if it's their faith that is saving them and getting them into a relationship with God. So it's like their faith is in their faith or their faith in all kind of stuff. We're all putting our faith in something all the time, aren't we? So like when you go to the bank, you're, you're placing your faith in the bank that your money is gonna be safe. When you go to a restaurant, you're placing your faith that the, uh, the chef is not trying to poison you, right? When you go over a bridge, you're placing your faith in the next step as you walk over that bridge that it's gonna hold your weight. You put faith in a chair today when you sat down. And so the object of your faith is very important. You can't just believe in any old thing because it will not support you. But our faith is in Christ, solid. That's why Paul said in another passage, I desire to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when we place our faith in Jesus, that is when we are secured in a love relationship with God. Now, one of the things that you got to understand is that some of you were raised in religious systems and environments where your faith was put in church membership, your faith was put in giving to charity or taking communion or being baptized or counting rosary beads or praying to a statue. But I got to tell you today, there are some of those things that are good things to do, but our faith must only be in Christ and him crucified in order to have salvation, to be saved, to have love relationship with God. Now, if you have a poem or a great work of art, what's the point in having it? Why do you have art? Well, to show it off, right? Isn't that the point? You want people to see it. And that's what God's saying when he says, when I saved you, here's why I did it, Ephesians 2, 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus, see? So the point of your salvation is not just so you can go to heaven when you die, but it's also so that throughout the ages, God can point to you and say, look at this masterpiece I've done. Look at this poem I've written. Look at this painting I have created. I bought a, uh, brought a picture of a painting that's in my entryway at my house. And I love this painting partly because I love the artist. He's a friend of mine named Joe Casares who goes to our church here at City Church downtown. And one of the things that makes me love it even more is because I've watched the work of God in his life. I've watched God draw him to salvation. I stood in the waters when Joe was baptized. I got to see Joe when he first met a beautiful, cool young woman, and they fell in love, and I stood there in his wedding party when the two were married. We ministered side by side to children in Chihuahua, Mexico together, and I've watched the beautiful work of God that's taken place in Joe's life. And sometimes I feel like the most privileged individual on the whole earth, and Here's why. Because I get to see the masterpiece that God is making of many of you. When I look around this room, I see so much beauty in what God is doing. Like you cooks over there, if you think back to where you were many years ago and where you are now and all that God has done, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? And uh, Lisa, I see you there. And if you think back to 
the way it was before and all that God has done over the years in the Villarreal's. I see you guys sitting back there and you think about all the awesome stuff that God has done. And you know, I, I'm just a pastor, right? And I'm so proud of so many of you. I could go through this room and we could just talk about all the amazing things and all of your stories. And if I feel this way as just a man, just your pastor, how much more is God so proud of you for the many things that you have allowed him to do in your lives to reflect his glory, his beauty, and his grandeur? And so here's what we want to aspire to be. We want to be people that God wants to show off, you know? So tell someone next to you, be a work of art that God can show off. Good. Good. It's just one sentence. It doesn't take that long, okay? <laughs> now, another thing I want to show you in Ephesians is that price reveals value. We see the price that was paid for us in Ephesians 2.16. It says, Christ reconciled both groups, that is Jews and Gentiles, to God by means of his death on the cross. That was a high price to be paid for our salvation, our relationship with God. Now, I want to show you a picture of a 1635 Rembrandt painting called Minerva in Her Study. And this picture is valued, this painting is valued at $46 million. It's one of the most significant works of art to be offered for sale in recent years. It was purchased by an art dealer who said he would let the public see it for four weeks. Now, I want to show you my favorite Rembrandt. And it is Return of the Prodigal Son. And the Return of the Prodigal Son painting is valued at more than $300 million. So if you put those two Rembrandts together, you're talking about 350, roughly $350 million worth of artwork. But if you took all of the artwork in all of the world that has ever been sold and you add it up, it is a drop in the bucket compared to the price that was paid for your soul and for mine when Jesus was killed on the cross and crucified there. Jesus had rusty nails, spikes driven through his hands and his feet. His back was made into hamburger meat from the beating before he ever got on the cross. He had a crown of thorns stuck into his head. They were big spikes that perhaps penetrated his skull into his brain. And all that sounds very painful, but I'll tell you this, the physical part of the cross was minuscule in compared to the, the, the spiritual oppression that Jesus experienced there. I want you to imagine it just for a minute. You think about the pain and depression and hurt from abuse and disappointment and guilt and shame that you've experienced. And you think about all the people you know that have experienced trauma from loss and hurt and abuse of every sort and all the guilt and shame and all the pain we felt just the people we know, and you multiply that millions of times over, all the people in all the generations, all their guilt, shame, and pain was placed upon Jesus in those moments of the cross spiritually. You think about if that landed on any one of us in this room, even the strongest of us, if we experienced that trauma we would be so damaged for the rest of our lives that it wouldn't matter if you had the best therapists in this world, the best pastors, counselors, and helpers in this world to help you, you would be irreparably damaged for eternity. And all of that spiritual yuck, filth, and pain 
went upon Jesus on the cross. And do you know why? Because God wanted to bring you to himself. He wanted to bring you to himself. And that's why I wanted to show you the next part of Ephesians is he wants you to experience his nearness. He wants you to experience his nearness. Look at Ephesians 2.13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought where? Near to him through the blood of Christ. And so let me take you back to that Rembrandt Return of the Prodigal Son. And this is a close-up of that. And I, I wanted to zoom in on this one part because the reason I love this painting is because it shows the father bringing the prodigal son's head in close to his chest. And he's close to his chest where he can hear the father's heartbeat. And that is what God wants for all of us is to give us an experience of his nearness to draw us close where we can sense his heartbeat. And I wanna be clear to those of you that are spiritual investigators and you're considering beginning a relationship with Christ, there is an experience related to that. There's a spiritual experience related to coming to know God and it's very different with different kinds of people. But you gotta understand it is an experience and I can't control it. You can't control it, but here's the deal. When you have a window of opportunity to receive it, I wanna beg of you, please, 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 breathe in the breath of God that he offers you in the moments of opportunity when he draws you to himself. And here's another thing I wanna say very clearly to you. Today's the day of salvation. You do not know what a day might bring forth. And he is lovingly drawing some of you to himself today. You sense it. You know that it transcends just your thoughts and your emotions. It's more of a sense. And you sense a loving presence that's beyond what you can comprehend, drawing you in love. And I want to ask you to seriously, seriously, more than you've been serious about anything in your life, to consider receiving it in these moments right now as we pray. So with that in mind, could we bow for prayer? And as we do, this may be the most significant event of your life. If you just decide to say, I'm gonna say yes to him. I'm gonna choose to believe. I want you to just talk to God in your own heart. You don't have to say it out loud, but just say, hey, look, God, I know I've been a piece of work. But the best I understand it, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ suffered that cross for me. And God, I welcome you into my life. Draw me near. Draw me near. Father, I thank you for those who just prayed that and meant it, and they went from death to life. They were once blind, but now they see and God, the rest of us who know you and some of us who have walked with you for months, others for years, and we pray together that we want to be your poems, expressing your love, and we trust you to reflect your grace and beauty through our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.